0: This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Kinyokahage Nation in Chochage, also known as Montreal, Quebec, the original lands of many First Nations, including the Kinyokahage of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Huron Wendat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. When we engage with technology that has only been made possible because of colonial motives, it's extremely important for each of us to reflect on our own presence within these digital spaces like on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you're listening to this right now. We can reflect on the power relations that exist within applications like these that make it so that certain interests are being catered to, that certain populations are being advertised to. And in this, we can also see the populations that are being excluded, alienated, or even completely ignored. In advertisements, in accessibility, motives, content, in all of these things, we can see the underlying forces of colonialism working to exploit certain populations while serving others. We can also think about the digital division that exists between those of us who have access to high-speed internet that allows us to use these applications and those who don't. And remembering that this is no accident. To learn what land you're on, go to native-land.ca. Hello, welcome back. This week is just me it's just me hanging out with me. Happy to have you here. I am excited for this one because I don't I don't totally know where it's gonna go because I have kind of a jumble of notes, but the general themes are the female gaze, which I'm excited to talk about and also queer desire and feminine desire versus the male gaze kind of like how do they operate in connection with the male gaze How does that affect our own perception of desire? Yeah, I don't don't have a clear vision of what it's going to be like, but I am excited for the general themes that I have planned out. So I want to start by talking about the female gaze, which isn't technically a theoretical term. It hasn't been theorized officially, I don't believe, but it's sort of like this feminist film term that refers to the representation of the female perspective in film and in art and it's sort of a counterpart to the male gaze which I did an episode on a while back uh, that's a term coined by Laura Mulvey which represents the male viewer's perspective which is inherently heterosexual and white and if you want a whole episode on that you can go back and listen to the one that I did uh, near the beginning of when I first started this podcast. Um, it's a classic. It's a good old goodie. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in that, go and check that one out and then come on back and listen to this one because I think an understanding of the male gaze is important to uh, to sort of like start dissecting the female gaze and the sort of differences between them and and stuff like that. I think that because the male gaze is so taken for granted, we assume that it's kind of everywhere in film and in art. And I mean, it is, but that doesn't mean that that's the only perspective that exists. There's many others that do within film and within art that as of recently have been defined as the perspective of the female gaze. And it isn't really like... Easily definable, and I think that that's what's so significant about it because it can't be specifically defined as any one particular perspective or way of viewing a piece of art, whether it's a film, a piece of music, a painting, or whatever. The female gaze, or what's called the female gaze, isn't about objectifying the male body. It's not the direct opposite of what the male gaze is, which is often what we think. Like, we think, oh, so that must mean that Magic Mike is the female gaze because it's like, Women looking at men who are sexy and who are being objectified. like that no, that's that's not entirely the point of the female gaze. For me anyway, the way I understand it is it's more about representing characters on screen in a fully dimensional way and not just showing them as bodies. And this doesn't just mean women. This doesn't just mean that women are portrayed in a way that's not objectifying. This means that every person is represented on screen as dimensional, as more than an object, which is different from the male gaze because that sort of gaze serves to objectify all bodies that aren't male. I kind of want to talk about the female gaze in film in relation to The Handmaid's Tale, which is a show on Crave. Uh, It's based on the book by Margaret Atwood, who's one of my favorite authors, and I'm not going to spoil anything about the show. I'm going to talk about how it uses the female gaze to portray certain depictions of violence in particular because disclaimer the show is very very graphic it's very violent it's really hard to watch but it's also really really good it is yeah no i i adore the show and i will never shut up about it and i fucking love how prevalent the female gaze is in it and one thing i appreciate in particular is the presence of the female gays and the more violent scenes of the show. There are a lot of violent scenes, particularly sexually violent ones, and they're horrifying. They're in no way good, but I think the crucial part about these scenes to me is that they're shot from the perspective of the person who is experiencing the violence rather than shooting the scene from the perspective of the person who is the perpetrator, which I feel like is often what Hollywood does. Hollywood really glamorizes rape scenes they are always incredibly graphic and they're usually shot from the perspective of objectifying the person who's experiencing the violence rather than making it sort of like an emotional scene. It's more of a it's it's always a very physical, very graphic portrayal, which yes, the physicality component of it is incredibly important, but I think that what The Handmaid's Tale does that's really amazing is that with these scenes that include incredibly graphic, horrific violence. They aren't romantic. They're not glamorized. They're not objectifying. They're all shot from the person's perspective who's experiencing what's happening to them. The way these scenes are shot is meant to emphasize the emotion that's going on. The body isn't the center of the scene. The emotion is. And I think that the cinematography was really, really intentional because it's meant to prompt A different reaction from viewers, a different sort of engagement with the material that's being presented. We're not meant to be looking at the body of the person who's experiencing this violence and having that be the focus. We're meant to be thinking about how that person feels in that situation. And that's not a kind of reaction that you get from the male gaze, which so often focuses on the body and not the emotion. And that's sort of how I understand the difference between the male and the female gaze is that. The male gaze is focused on the body in an objectifying way, whereas the female gaze focuses on the emotion in a raw and incredibly real way. And that doesn't mean that the body isn't still an incredibly important component of what's happening. It's just that it's not the center of our attention. It's not what we are focusing on. We're focusing on what the character is feeling in that moment. I think that another really good example of a TV show that uses the female gaze is Fleabag, which is my number one top favorite ever TV show ever to exist. If you haven't watched it, absolutely go watch it. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a gem in this world, and I adore her, and I think that she's so brilliant. It was originally based on her one-woman play. I think it was of the same name. I think it was also called Fleabag, and they made it into a show, and... It's just the perfect blend of comedy and drama and satire. And it's just, it's, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And it also utilizes the female gaze in some really, really smart ways with the comedy, with the sex scenes, with the more heavy discussions in the show regarding grief and struggling with relationships and connections to family and I won't I won't go too deep into it because I don't want to spoil anything but just the way her relationship to the camera and her relationship to the audience is really really subversive of the male gaze in some really Playful, kind of kooky, fun ways, but it also has this really deep, profound perspective of the way that she handles grief and the way that she approaches therapy and the complicated kind of relationship she has going on in her life and her own relationship to her self-esteem and it's just way more profound than anything I've seen written by a man when it comes to tv I think that it's really obvious I think I said this in my male gaze episode but it's really obvious when a man is behind the camera directing the scene versus when a woman is because you can kind of tell like the way The way that the character is written, the way that the body language is kind of structured, the way that the scene is played out, it's just very clear who had the upper hand in conducting that. And Fleabag is one of those examples where it's just so clear that men didn't have a huge role in kind of like directing the scenes and deciding what the characters were like and stuff like that. So those are two of my top TV shows anyway. I think that there are quite a few movies that I I could also talk about but I'm thinking I might want to save them for another time when I do potentially a whole episode on cinema specifically in relation to like feminine queer relationships I'm thinking of like portrait of a lady on fire versus blue is the warmest color which I've already expressed my feelings about not a huge fan. Um. <laughs> so I think I might save the film recommendations for another time I also I recently just started university again for the fall semester and I'm taking a queer cinema class and so I think that that will be the source of many cool episodes to come so maybe I'll hold back on the film representations but yeah Handmaid's Tale Fleabag definitely recommend for sure Now I sort of, now that I've like kind of laid it on the table, the female gaze, some examples, what it means, what the difference is between the male and the female gaze, the male gaze being objectifying of the body and the female gaze being more focused on emotion. I want to get into talking about the sort of binary logic of the male and the female gaze that I think is very, very prevalent, but doesn't often get talked about. So both the male and the female gaze both reinforce really rigid binaries and heteronormative ways of thinking about gender representation. And they can both be really exclusionary, even just like in the names, male and female gaze. I think that the way that we talk about the male versus female perspective in film doesn't it doesn't leave any room for other perspectives including I'm talking about gender I'm talking about race about class like we're missing out on perspective of trans people of non-binary people and other gender non-conforming people and also like within the male and female gaze like is there any recognition of racial differences of class differences i think that i think that there's just a lot of nuance that's missing in those very names and like we know that understanding gender is so much more than having just two perspectives of either male or female there's a whole world of gender that goes so far beyond these two binaries and it's also more it's about more than just gender And this is why I think it's important to think about the language that's used within these theories and know the term of the female gaze hasn't officially been theorized the way the male gaze has. It's still a term that's being referenced to and used, particularly within the realms of feminist discourse. And because it's become a part of feminist discourse and how we approach conversations about gender representation in film, we need to be mindful of who's being included in the language that we're using. If our language and our conversations and theories and questions are being confined by binary thinking created and reinforced by the patriarchy then how feminist are these ideas, really? Like, we have to continue to rethink the ways in which our own understanding of sexuality and gender have been shaped by patriarchal and heteronormative discourse. Because only then will we be able to unravel our own preconceived notions about these things and realize that we might not actually be as right as we think we are. So maybe, I guess what I'm saying here is maybe the female gaze isn't necessarily the right name for this perspective. I see the value in naming it the female gaze because... It's sort of like indirect opposition to the male gaze, which is inherently misogynist and exploitative of non-male bodies. But I also think it's important to notice that calling it the female gaze isn't necessarily representative of what using this perspective is trying to achieve. Like, if what we're trying to achieve is a more emotion-person-focused view of characters in cinema then we should be thinking about the fact that it's not only cisgender women who are exploited and objectified in cinema. It's not only cisgender women who have internalized the male gaze and struggle with self-objectification. So maybe the female gaze isn't the right name for it? Or maybe it could be, so long as we're putting into practice the values of integration and acceptance and celebration of all people in cinema and not only of cisgender women. One thing I also wanted to talk about in this episode was the relationship between queer desire and how that sort of destabilizes the male gaze and sort of like the the dynamics that go on between being people that have internalized the male gaze and also dealing with queer desire and especially like from from me, from a feminine queer perspective, how that sort of is out because it's a little little tricky. Navigating queer romance and desire and sex as a feminine woman can be a complicated thing because it's like, in one way, you kind of feel like you're defying gender expectations and the male gaze and patriarchal standards because you're so queer. But then on the other hand, there's this sort of like internal battle because of the really deeply ingrained male gaze that follows you around and makes you hypersexualize yourself and other women. So, it's like that like creepy straight man in your head reminding you that you're living his fantasy by having sex with these women. And it's just this weird thing that I feel like I still struggle with in like am I liberated or am I just objectifying myself or just this kind of like weird in-between stage that I don't fully get. And I was reading this article, uh, let me pull up the name. Right, so it's written by Arca Baybert. Uh, It's from 2020. It's called In Her Eyes, What the Male Gaze Means for Women's Queer Desire. And there's this quote from it that really got me thinking. And it says, women are often on the receiving end of desire, or at least we are taught to be. And I think that this is a really interesting point because it really emphasizes how much women are desired, so much so that when we're dealing with desiring other people, especially desiring other women, we get kind of lost and we're kind of like, okay, where, where do I go from here? And what this article says is basically that women who desire other women are often left with like this feeling of desire without any understanding of being able to translate it into our actual lives, how to actually put this desire into real action. Because we're so used to being the objects of desire and not so much the people who are doing the desiring. And I think that this is interesting to talk about in connection to the male gaze because I struggled with this in high school when I was like first really like coming into myself as a queer woman and... Like talking with other people about it openly, and I had a lot of guy friends at the time that we would sort of like—I don't know—we would we would talk about it in a very male gazy way. We would talk about other girls in a very male gazy way, in the sense that like um, you're talking about how hot she is or how great her body is, and just like very very objectifying. Um, and I wasn't always comfortable with it, but I was sort of like performing this sense of desire for other women that I thought was like how I was supposed to be doing it because that's all that I kind of knew. That's that's all that I was being taught from the male gaze was this is how you're supposed to desire women and that's, that's it. There's no other way for it. And I think that is especially as a younger girl who was figuring out where to put this desire that she had for other girls and for other women it was tricky because I was so caught up in still the performance of feeling like I needed to be performing for other men and satisfying their sexual fantasies very male gazey like oh you like girls that's hot kind of vibe (laughs) I was still very much caught up in that while also still trying to figure out okay where do I put this desire in a way that feels authentic and so that translated into me sort of continuing to perform this like objectifying oh yeah she's so hot with my other guy friends and I don't know like it it just it feels I remember it feeling icky at the time and it not feeling right but also like there wasn't anything else that I knew because I hadn't had any representation or any role models in my life that were showing me like what to actually do with these feelings and it wasn't really until I was around other queer women and other queer feminine people that I really understood what it was to desire people that weren't men and do it in a way that wasn't for the male gaze, that wasn't objectifying, that wasn't a performance. This desire could just be, it could just be on its own and not have it be a performance for anyone and just have it be a special thing that was in me and that I could share with somebody else if I wanted to and if it was reciprocal. So it was being exposed and being integrated within these communities of other queer women and of other queer femme people that I was able to really explore that part of myself and have it be a real authentic expression of what i was feeling rather than this pressure to be conforming into this hot bisexual woman <laughs> that needed to objectify other women with her male friends in order to somehow be the right kind of queer i don't really know if i'm wording this right or if this is if this is making any sense to any of you but It's such a complicated thing to explain, I think, to anyone that hasn't had firsthand experience with it, with navigating that sort of, like, tricky, slippery slope of dealing with internalized male gaze and also coming to terms with queerness and wanting to act on that queer desire. And I think that the relationship between sort of queer desire and the female gaze and destabilizing the male gaze is a really interesting sort of interplay of dynamics, because I think that for me, the queer gaze is more important than the female gaze. Or maybe, maybe it's not more important, but maybe it's like the two at play together, of the female gaze being emphasizing emotion and the more feminine perspective, I suppose, in connection to understanding things from a queer perspective of like not seeing all narratives as heterosexual and not looking at all relationships between women as friendships, for example. (laughs) I think that sort of reading into those subtexts within cinema and within literature and within art sort of taking into account all of those different dynamics at play is what helped me sort of discover where to put my desire and how to understand my desire as a queer woman. I think for me, just paying attention to the subtextual hints at queerness and at feminine desire is what really sticks with me and what helps me feel close to that bit of myself. And also just like sometimes laughing at The male gaze. Marco and I will do that if we're watching a movie. We literally just like... I try not to take it too seriously anymore because it is... It is annoying and it can get frustrating (laughs) when you're watching a movie and it's just like, whoop, there she goes. There goes her top and there goes the camera panning up from her toes to the top of her head. And it does like, it. yeah, I like I'm sick of it. But at the same time, I don't know, you can't, you can't take it too seriously all the time because otherwise you'd be angry all of the fucking time. And my energy is too precious for that. (laughs) I think that an important component that the queer gaze brings to the table Um, is that it challenges binary understandings of gender and sexuality and narratives of relationships that both the male and the female gaze sort of fail to do, as I was explaining before, that they're sort of inherently reinforcing those binaries, even just like within their names and how they're understood is very, very gender focused. Whereas I think that the queer gaze sort of ascends both of those and goes into its own realm of understanding relationships and identities from a much more profound, much more intimate perspective. I think that for me, the queer gaze and the female gaze combined together create this sort of transcendent experience of understanding a narrative that goes so far beyond just seeing what's in front of you. And this perspective really helps you to just like read between the lines and wonder what's going on and consider the different dynamics at play and just add a special element of realism that I think the male gaze is always missing. Maybe the takeaway this week could be to watch three movies or three episodes of a TV show if you don't have time for three movies this week because life is busy. Maybe try find one movie that utilizes the male gaze, one that utilizes the female gaze, and one that utilizes the queer gaze. And if you need some help with recommendations, hit me up. I would be more than happy to share some of my favorite movies. Maybe watch one of each of those movies if you can, or if you want, just like pick one... And decipher what it is that made you realize that the perspective that was being shown was different. Like, how did you know it was the female gaze? How did you know it was the male gaze? And how did you know it was the queer gaze? Because I think it's really interesting when you, like, pick apart and decipher what's different about these different perspectives. I think that that really shows what each of them are all about. So I think that could be fun. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. As always, there's so much more to say, but I'm sleepy. I might go take a nap. And then I think I might watch a female gazey movie tonight. Maybe a male gazy one, but I feel like I watched one of those recently and I was like, okay, this is enough. I don't need to see this many women's bums on my TV screen. So we'll see. We'll see what direction I go in tonight. But I hope that you had fun. It was so fun having you. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to connect on Instagram, you can follow at thelily.pod. We'd love to have you join the conversation. So thank you again. See you.